But he asked me to fill in for him this morning. He got a phone call, so he's doing an operation right about now. And so if you want to pray for Buddy and also the person he's operating on, he would appreciate that. But he asked me to touch bases and just fill in. So since we started our campaign for fixing the boiler and hopefully working on something with a ramp, in the last few weeks we've taken in 17,791. So kudos, congratulations, it's outstanding. We still have about 7,000 and change towards that matching gift, but we just want to give you an update on where things are. Including the matching gift, we are just under $60,000 that's come in so far. So, But between now and, and, to the, and towards the matching gift, end of Thanksgiving, which is rapidly approaching, we're up to 17791 So thank you. Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, this morning we want to continue to pick up and look at the theme and the conversation is, I can't believe this God stuff because, and as people have wrestled through this in particular, as we have looked at this and we've processed through that, it's in the Christian context, in the Christian community that this wrestling match has taken place. And these things where people have said, you know, I think I need to just kind of step away from faith and I just need to step away from God because I'm wrestling with these things and I don't have the answers and I'm going to kind of create some distance. And so as we've walked through some of those things so far, we want to pick up again today and talk about three things that people wrestle through. And so we're going to touch on these three things, but before we do that, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into it. Father, I just say thank you again this morning for your richness and your goodness to us, for watching over us and taking care of us. And Father, this morning as we kind of see these additional three things that people struggle with, Father, I would ask that you would guide us. Father, give us grace, give us wisdom, give us discernment. Father, give us introspection. And then, Father, also give us boldness and courage to walk with you and to honor you in our journey. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the first one is not major, i.e. a major obstacle that people say, this is, this is just insurmountable and I've got to go. The first one. This first one is more subtle. In the problem of apathy. So if you look in your notes, you want to follow along, you're going to see that there's a problem at times, and that's a problem of apathy. I just kind of wrote this kind of description here. It says the big issue is not that these people, is, is the big issue here is that these people still love God, but they have become distracted. Other things have cropped up in their lives and had become either distractions or priorities, and the church and faith had become very secondary in their life journey. Have you seen things like that happen at times in people's lives? And that's kind of what's going on, what's, what's taking place in the lives of these individuals who have kind of stepped into the place of apathy as other things have cropped in. Now, in our culture today, we really see this with COVID, don't we? One of the things that's taken place with COVID is, is that it's kind of, in a sense, sifted. And people who have kind of been on the edge have kind of stepped away, and they really haven't stepped back. A number of things have taken place in our culture. Our culture has put on a full court press for fear. 
It's just taken place. In the last year and a half, overwhelmingly, we constantly hear the message, you got to be careful, you could get COVID, and you're going to die. And that's been pressed and pressed and pressed. Before the vaccine came out, part of the press and part of the push was you need to get the vaccine, and if you don't get the vaccine, you could get COVID and you could die. What's interesting now, the vaccine has come out, and we're still being told you need to wear a mask, and there's a booster shot you need to get, and if you don't still wear the mask, and if you don't still wear the booster shot, you could still get COVID and die. Now, am I trying to diminish or say that COVID isn't a real issue? No, it's a real issue. It really is a real issue. As we walk through the process, I chose to get the immunization. I got the Johnson & Johnson. Johnson? No, Pfizer. I got the Pfizer. Look, I have to check with my fact checker over there. <laughs> so I got the Pfizer, you know, and Pfizer 1, Pfizer 2. You know, and I jumped through those hoops. And um, probably I'll have to go get the Pfizer booster, even though, I've, even though I've had COVID. Probably I'm still protected because I had COVID. And, and what's interesting in all of this stuff is some of the old science that we've lived with said if you've had it, you're probably protected. You don't need to worry about it anymore. But we've kind of thrown that out with this. And we've said even though you've had it, you still need to get the, the shot. So, but we've delivered this full court press. But here's what's interesting. As things have unfolded, People have started to filter back to going shopping and they've filtered back to going to work and they've filtered back to going for walks and seeing friends and kind of hanging out, going to restaurants, going to the gym. But some are still holding on to the idea though, but if I go to church, I might get COVID and die. And so they back up and they'll do all sorts of other things, but they don't come out to church. And so part of what we decide is what I'm going to do from now on is I'm going to do a digital church. I'm going to do digital church. Now, here's what's interesting. I was in a meeting the other day with somebody, and, I was, and they talked about this, and they said, you know, what's interesting with all of the onset and the coming of COVID, it's probably in a very short time advanced the church about five years. Because what's taken place is across the board, churches have shifted their platforms, shifted their structures, and they have shifted so that so much is now online. We saw some of that taking place here. We were in process. We were moving in that direction. We had gotten some quotes to put the video cameras in and some of that kind of stuff so that we could broadcast. But what happened is as COVID comes in, it pushes that process forward. And so people that the small group of people that were moving in that direction has become a very large group of people that have moved in the direction because why? What took place? We shut everything down for months. Everything was shut down for months. And the other thing that took place is that other churches that were doing it and you kind of go through and you find some of these individuals that you listen to and you say, boy, they, I really enjoy listening to them. They kind of speak to me. They're, they're kind of fun, but they're not next door. They're in California. They're in Texas. They're in Ohio. They're... They're someplace else. They're in Washington, D.C., and so it's not like a place we can go readily. So we've enjoyed the digital framework. And can I tell you something real quick? This push on the digital, it's, it's really 
a wonderful thing. It's not a negative thing. Because what's taken place with that is we have had now the opportunity so when I'm sick at home, I can kind of click in and stay connected to what's happening at church. That's a wonderful resource. That's a wonderful opportunity. If I'm on vacation, I can click in. I can listen to what's going on at church. It was kind of cool. So when we were on vacation this summer and we were had to check out of where we were and we were going to go to my brother and sister-in-law's, which was around six hours away, but in the interim spot, we were going to stop and see my niece and nephew. And it was really cool. It happened to be Sunday morning. We had to do that thing on a vacation Sunday morning. And it was really cool. On my phone, I pulled up New Life Church and I was able to listen to the service as I'm trucking down the road from one spot to the other. And it was great. And it served a wonderful thing for that moment in time in that transitional process as I'm not here. It was great. But the challenge is when we use it as the full-time staple. Now, can I say something? There was something special that I really enjoyed during COVID. Because we would come in and we would record and and map things out and we would do things on Thursday afternoon, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, and we got things set up and ready to go so that on Sunday morning, it would broadcast. And during COVID, I got to tell you, It was kind of special. We would get up and we would make breakfast. We would kind of get all things together and then we would all sit down in the living room. Joan, the boys, my mom, and we would sit down in the living room and we would turn on the TV at 10.30 and we would watch the service and we would kind of do that all together. And that was really cool. And there was something neat about that. But that was a season not the long-term process. And it was a season because our governor said, everything's shut down. You can't have church, you can't do this, you can't do that, and all got locked up. The challenge is getting back into those healthy routines. The challenge is re-engaging. Now, in that, I think again of Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. For me, And then we've talked about this. We've gone to this passage a number of times. And again, as I have listened to this verse over the years, in particular as I've listened to people who are standing where I am, to talk about this, oftentimes it's been used as this club to beat you overhead. And I don't think, as the writer of Hebrews was speaking, that was ever intended as a club. Rather, I thought, I've always kind of heard it as, a, as words of encouragement and aspiration, not something to beat us up with. Look at that with me, if you would. Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. And I love how it starts. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's think of how we can encourage each other, to support each other, and to inspire each other to live better. And then he goes on, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And as the writer of Hebrews kind of unpacks this and looks at this, it's really clear to me that they're mapping out a framework, an idea, an aspiration. Listen, 
We want and we aspire to be the men and the women that Jesus desires us to be. And we get beat up at times in the journey of life. But we should be seeking to support each other, to encourage each other, to cheer each other on, to champion each other in this journey. But you can't do that in isolation. You can't do that when you're not putting yourself in that place where you can be cheered on, where you can be encouraged. And it's also really tough for you to champion, to cheer on, and to encourage others when you're not around them and near them to do so. So, so guys, don't, don't forsake and don't abandon the getting together, but rather continue to do that so you can encourage each other because I want to remind you, Jesus is coming. You want to be ready when Jesus comes. So stay focused, encourage, gather, support each other, cheer each other on. It's tough. And what happens in our journey when we start to become apathetic, we start to back away, we start to get isolated. And we start to lose touch and we start to lose connection. And then we start to feel the tension of life. And we ask, why do I feel some of this tension of life? Because we've removed ourselves from the support networks that encourage us and help us in our journey. I also discovered this. It's almost impossible for us to fulfill the one another's of Scripture from our sofa, from our sofa. It's almost impossible to do that. It's almost impossible to cheer each other on, to support one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another when we just sit on our sofa or we sit at our computer. It's tough. But it really does help when we get to talk to each other, see each other. We get the chance to say, so how was your week? How did you do? How can I pray for you? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? Do I need to give you a call? Do I need to show, you, show up and knock on your door and say, it's time to go? What do I need to do? It's tough to do that from a distance, but when we are close up, we get to help each other and support each other. So the first thing that takes place as we look at this journey, and it's not one of those things that's glaring, it's just subtle, it's quiet. It's the path or the problem of apathy. As people just start to create distance, and to slide away. Here's a second big hurdle that people wrestle through. It's the problem of pain. Now, one of the things that's really cool, each of these weeks we've kind of referenced the one one or two messages that Connor preached over over this fall, and it's really kind of cool. I was talking to the elders about that this week. What's really cool is that we didn't coordinate that. So as Connor knew he had this window of time, he said, you know, he came to me and said, Andrew, I'm thinking of preaching in this direction. This is kind of what I think the Lord is laying on my heart. And I said, great, do it. And then as we kind of look and see those things, it's been really cool to see what he was preaching on, how well it's fit into where we were going during this series. It wasn't coordinated, but what's really cool is we have a coordinator above us that seems to put things together that's really kind of fun and to see how those things work. And again, Connor talked about this a few weeks ago. 
And if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back to listen to the message because he touched on these some, this on some wonderful ways. But this is one of the real issues, the problem of pain. And the big issue here is that I have been hurt by the church or by others at church. Probably very few of us have not been hurt by other people. Now, the reality at times is that seldom is that hurt intentional. But there's been hurt. Does anyone enjoy being hurt? No. (laughs) We cringe, we flinch, we draw back. It's like the kid who goes up to the stove and puts his finger on the stove. You go, you want to stay away from behind them because if you, if you are right behind them, you're going to get elbowed. Why? Because they put their finger on the stove, it's hot, and their reaction is to pull their hand back. It's painful. We don't like it. We want to avoid it. And hurts do happen. The challenge for us is that we need to practice the prescriptions that God has given. I love the fact that God does not say, oh, hurts don't happen. He's clear, he's understanding, and he talks to us about things that we should be doing to address hurts that take place. So a number of scriptures to look at. Let's start in Matthew chapter 18. As I kind of go to there real quick. Matthew 18. If, a, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. Now again, if we practice the prescriptions that Jesus gives us, they work. Go and, and talk to the two of you alone. Now, here, can I tell you something? Here's the problem of talking to our friends before we talk to the person. You ready for this? When we go and talk to our friends, can you believe what Greg just did to me? I can't believe it. And so I'm, I'm telling Connor all about it. And, I'm, and I've, I've talked to John too. You know, I've, Connor and John, like I said, guys, can you believe the stuff that Greg has done? And what do I do? I'm kind of wound up. And so then I talk with Greg and John. I get them wound up. And finally, I said, okay, guess I better go talk to Greg, and I go talk to Greg, and we work it all out. And so all that winding up, that elastic band gets unstretched, it gets untwisted, and all that untension gets resolved. But they're still wound up. And they're kind of going, I can't believe Greg did that. And there's no way for them to resolve that tension because they're still wound up. I've drawn them in when I shouldn't have drawn them in. I should have gone right to Greg. And so now, Greg and I are good. But Greg's got issues with these guys. He has no idea why he has issues with these guys. And they have no pressure valve to release the tension because they've been drawn into something that they never should have been involved in. Because instead of just going to him, I went to them first. So when we follow the prescriptions of God's word, it works. So first, go and show him his fault. And when the two of you are alone, if he listens to you, you have regained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you. So when do I include Connor and John? Now's when I include Connor and John. I've talked to Greg and Greg goes, get away from me, leave me alone. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. So I go, 
Connor, John, can you guys help me talk to Greg and help me resolve this issue? And, oh, wow, that's really tough. That's difficult. I, I guess we should. And so what do we do? We then go together. Now what happens? We're going there and having this conversation together. And we get gets resolved. Are they still wound up? No. But they've been involved in the conversation. They've been involved in the process, helping to facilitate reconciliation. But what happens if he's still stubborn? <laughs> His wife's going, get him, get him, get him. <laughs> no, she's not really. He says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others with you so that at the testimony of, of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established. And then it goes on. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. And so I bring them and they can't. And so we, we then kind of bring the elders involved. And we, we bring the elders involved and try to bring it. And if it doesn't get resolved there, then we bring it to the church family. Now, often by the time you're bringing this differing levels of pressure to bear to resolve issues of conflict, it gets resolved. And the goal of this is what? To get conflict resolved. To bring healing, to bring reconciliation, to bring restoration. That's the goal. But if that person is stubborn... Now, can, can I say something else in, in all of this? So... Greg and I are having an argument. I bring Connor and John in. You know what's going to happen if it happens correctly, if we, don't, if we, if we can't do this? Because, you know, Greg might be saying to me, well, Andrew, you know, you've also been a jerk too. <laughs> what do you mean I've been a jerk? Well, you've been a jerk this way, and so I responded that way. Well, you get to work that out. But if I'm not listening or he's not listening, I sit down with these guys and say, guys, well, I said, well you know, Andrew, they're saying to me first, you know, Andrew, you've kind of been a jerk. <laughs> Oh, really? Now, now does, does everyone never do anything wrong? None of us never do anything wrong. All of us mess up in different ways. And even in interpersonal relationships, I have found in all of the interpersonal relationships that I've tried to help people resolve, invariably, there's usually something on both sides. Now, maybe one person owns more of it than the other person. But invariably, the, the innocent party owns some stuff. Whether it's how they reacted, how they spoke, the, the, the tone, the attitude they came into the conversation. There's usually something that they own. That's also true when, you're, when you argue with your spouse. So you, the, the, the challenge is to look in the mirror before you have the conversation. But the whole purpose of this process is to bring in learning, reconciliation, healing. And why would we say we treat them like a tax collector or, or a Gentile or a person? Why? Because the goal is to then start to pray for their salvation or to pray for their repentance so that God would work in their heart and life. Why? Because we need to learn repentance. We need to learn reconciliation, not just with the people we offend, but we also need to learn that in our relationship with God. And invariably, when we are at odds with other people, it interferes with our ability to effectively have relationship with the Father. And so if we follow the prescriptions that Scripture gives us, it often works. How about another 
verse to look at. And I, and I decided to go back kind of to the start of this conversation because you want to kind of just land on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. But I, you really want to start at verse 17 as you look at the context of the whole. Because as you walk through the context of the whole, there's just great power and insight in what's taking place. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God, the life that God gives, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. You catch the the groundwork of things that happen in us and that still reside in us that contribute to some of the things that happen around us? We all haven't always done a good job of putting off or throwing off some of those things that interfere. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Do you want the evil one to have a foothold in your life, kind of a launching point in your life, to mess with your life, to interfere with your life, and to, and to speak his chaos into your life? If you don't, then you've got to look at the anger issues. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abuseful language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on a day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And then we get to this final verse. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, the challenge is, listen, you have all this baggage from your history. You have all this baggage because of the sinfulness that resides in your life. And you can carry that with you in your journey, and that's going to negatively affect and impact how you interact. Or you can allow the Holy Spirit to have authority in your life and to work in your life. And we talk about that, and then we get to verse 32. Be kind one another and tender-hearted, forgiving. See, again, if we practice the disciplines of Scripture, it's amazing what happens as we work through and address the hurts that take place in our lives. But what happens at times is we want to carry those hurts. We want to nurture those hurts. 
Because sometimes we want to feel angry and we want to feel justified in how we react and justified in how we respond. At different times, people say, I don't want to forgive. And they don't realize, because I don't want to let them off. And they don't realize that as we learn to forgive, it doesn't release them, it releases us. It releases us from bitterness. It releases us from anger. It releases us from resentment. It releases us from carrying this baggage. It rescues and releases us. How about one more verse here? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 15. We referenced this, I think, last week. But again, it's a huge, huge verse to listen to and think about. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And watch out that that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to build trouble, to trouble you, corrupting many. It's been sad for me to watch over the years. The way that people have allowed bitterness to take root in their lives. And bitterness is this poison that just leaches into everything. I've watched and listened to many people who have this area of bitterness and they think they can compartmentalize it. And they feel like they can just wall off this bitterness in this one area and they can allow that bitterness to sit there. They can allow that bitterness to reside and fester. And they say to themselves, it doesn't affect anything else. I've yet to see any system or structure that keeps bitterness in its place. I have never seen a situation where people have wrestled with bitterness and where it has not started to seep into and filter into other areas of their life and to start to poison and pollute other areas of their life. I would say this. I would say bitterness is way worse than cancer. It's an ugly, ugly, vile thing that destroys us because it destroys our spirit. It destroys our heart. It destroys our hope. It destroys relationships. It destroys our attitudes. And instead of a smile, it just kind of compresses our lips. And sometimes we don't always see it on the outside, but it's going on on the inside. And it can just destroy us. And the challenge is to not let it have a place in our lives. Get the shovel, get the spade, get that thing that goes along the roots roots, and, and, and take that stuff and pull that stuff up out of your life. And don't give it a place to reside. Because here's the challenge. 
Have any of you worked on weeds in your garden or in the front yard? Yeah. If you get them when they're little, it's easy to get rid of them. But if you let them sit there for a couple of months, it's really tough to get them out. And when you let them go to seed, then it's even tougher. The best time to weed things in our lives is when they're fresh and new. When they're just starting to sprout. And when we look at those attitudes, we look at that bitterness, we look at that going on inside of us. And we need to pull it out. And then we don't just pull it out. But then we need to apply the other biblical principles and we need to then work at learning to say, I forgive. We need to maybe learn to have a conversation with someone who's causing aggravation and irritation in our lives and say, listen, can we please talk because I'm really feeling frustrated and aggravated. You may or may not be aware of this, but can we please talk? And that's where we need to go back. We need to apply the biblical principles and let the word of God be lived out in our lives. And it's amazing. When we let the word of God be lived out in our lives, it works. It really does work. And it's been amazing to me to see as I have helped people to learn to live out the word of God in their lives, particularly in this area, how forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration takes place, how the roots of bitterness start to wither and die, and how joy starts to return to life because they've applied God's word, they've applied the application of scripture, and it works. Hurt. Sometimes people say, because of the problem of pain, I'm just going to back away. I'm going to walk away because I've been hurt. And then we have the problem of sin and hell. Here's the big question. How could a loving God allow the effects of sin or send people to hell? How could he do that? Well, here's part of the the challenge in this whole thing. Part of the reality is that you and I, and through Adam, have chosen sin. That's part of the problem. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. We'll just kind of hit the beginning part of it. We don't need to go through the whole verse. But the beginning part of verse 17, and this is God talking to Adam, and he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. Now, it's not his wife's fault. It's not his wife's fault. It was his fault. He chose to disregard what God said. He chose something other than to honor God. Last week and the week previous, as we talked about Romans 1, and we kind of walked through the progression of Romans 1, And what do we see constantly? The exchanging of the truth of God, exchanging of the word of God, exchanging of the evidence of God for something else. And Adam chose 
to reject the word of God. He chose to eat the fruit, knowing full well what God had told him about the fruit. He chose to disregard. He chose to disobey. He chose to do something else. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Now see, this is again part of the tension point of this whole conversation. And people don't like it when you say to them, you have sinned. Does anyone enjoy being pulled over by a police officer and being given a ticket? What is he telling you? You have sinned. (laughs) Did anyone enjoy mom and dad having you sit down and have a conversation with you about the thing you just did that you weren't supposed to do? No. You know, we have the whole reaction. We have the whole squirm. We're trying to do that. I don't want to listen to you. We don't enjoy it. We don't enjoy when someone tells us we're wrong. We don't like it. But the reality is that God has established expectations. God has established boundaries. God has established what is right versus what is wrong. And again, one of the reasons our culture has chosen to reject God is because they don't want God telling them this is wrong. They don't want to live according to a structure. They don't want to have someone speaking into their life saying, this is right, this is wrong. Do what is right, don't do what is wrong. They don't want that. They want to do what they want to do. They want to establish their own expectations of what is right and versus what is wrong. But the reality is every single one of us has sinned. My hunch is that most of us have already started our list for today. Each of us has sinned. Each of us has said to God, God, I I got a different plan right now. Got to have a different agenda right now. Give me a moment. I'll, I'll get back to you. All of us sin. Every single one of us. At the root of sin, we are choosing something else over God and what God has asked us to choose. That's at the root of sin. Adam chose Eve over choosing to honor God. That's what he chose. Now, evil exists because of sin. Because we have chosen other things over honoring God. We talked about this last week, and let me go back to that. Romans chapter 12 we come to Romans chapter 1, we come to the end of Romans 1, we look at verses 28 down to 32. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind. God said, you don't want to acknowledge me, you want this, okay, here, you can have what you have decided you wanted. 
so that they might do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. These are all the fruit of sin. These are all the outworkings, the consequences of sin. Sin says, you have something that I want. I like it. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm more powerful than you. I can take it. And we say in our culture, God does not exist. It's all evolution. And as soon as we start to say God doesn't exist and it's all evolution, there is no standard for right and wrong. It's all arbitrary. Someone gets to choose what is right and is wrong. And usually, you've heard the old saying, right? There's two. There's, you heard, you have you heard the golden rule? He who has the gold makes the rules? That's part of how it works. That's, that's one of the golden rules. He who has the gold makes the rules. Or you have the might rule. He who has might makes it right. The one who's bigger, badder, and stronger gets to establish what the standards are. Welcome to evolution. Or we come back to the reality that there is a God and that God has imprinted himself on us and because he has created us in his image, innate into us is a sense of right and wrong. And God has created standards and established boundaries. Sin introduces evil. All the evil we see in the world is because we've chosen sin. It's because we have chosen disobedience. It's because we've chosen to disregard God. And we're seeing the outworking of sin as it piles up. In that wrestling match is the whole issue of hell. And people don't like the conversation about hell either because, again, how can a loving God have a place called hell? Jesus was talking about this in Matthew 25. We're talking about the sheep and goat judgments. And in that conversation, Jesus makes this statement, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. When Satan and the angels of heaven rebelled against God, not all of them, but Satan and those who followed Satan rebelled against God, God created a place of punishment and judgment for them. But then mankind also chose to follow after Satan's sinful pattern. God is righteous. And again, we wrestle with this whole thing. We don't want God to be righteous. We want God just to be forgiving. We want God to just kind of wipe the slate clean, say, forget it, it's, it's not a big deal. But the problem with that is we want God to wipe the slate clean, but we don't got, want God to change us. And so we still want to function sinfully, but we want God to not hold that against us. And then we'll also say, well, I also want to take that sinfulness into heaven. And so I want to be able to go into heaven, be next to God, but then still live the way that I want to live. And I want to be in God's heaven, but I don't want to follow the patterns or expectations that God is going to want in heaven. And I don't want a consequence for the choices I make. 
You ever find people have consequences that take place in their life and they're totally ticked off about it? And they, but they don't, they're, they're ticked off the consequence. They're not ticked off the fact that they made choices that led to that. They hate the consequence, but they don't hate the choices that they have made or the decisions they made that lead to the consequence. And if they had a chance to make those same choices again but not have the consequence, they would. Because they're not seeing the fall, the fault and flaw of their choices. They're just ticked off and annoyed at the consequence that they reap. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and the one who seated the one seated on earth and fire heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each one was judged according to the works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. For me, this is among the most terrifying set of verses that I read in the Bible. For me, it's the most terrifying. One, eternity still freaks me out. It totally weirds me out. But then to think of the reality that someone is apart from God forever in a place called the lake of fire totally, totally terrifies me. But this is the result and the consequence of sin. And I want to get to who God is. Because we see that in the next verse, and it's probably a verse that almost all of us know. Now, it's probably not in the King James as most of us have memorized it. This is here in the CSB, but here it goes. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here's what's amazing, and here's what people don't see, and this is what people ignore. Even in the conversation with Adam and Eve, when they chose to rebel against God, God began to talk to them about the pathway that he was going to establish for them to be redeemed. And all through history, God has provided us a pathway of reconciliation with God. All through history. And we see that being fulfilled and coming to completion in the work of Jesus. All through history, God has revealed himself, God has shown himself, and God has drawn people to himself. All through history. And we don't like the reality of hell, but overwhelmingly often people have chosen not to accept and receive the redemption that God offers through Jesus. But then they want to blame God for the reality of hell when God has provided a pathway to avoid it. See, the tension is that God is righteous. He must punish sin. But he also chose to provide a pathway where the sin was addressed, but where we can be reconciled and redeemed. Why? Because we chose rebellion. At the instant that we chose rebellion, God God could have gone, done with you, you're all going to burn. That's exactly what he could have done. But he didn't. 
His choice was to provide a pathway of reconciliation, to provide a pathway where we could walk back into relationship with him and be restored and reconciled. Here's what's really cool. Let's go back to where we started and the tension that exists. But let's say, at this point in time, Greg represents God. And I'm the idiot who's been stupid and stubborn. What has God done? He's continued to reach out. He's continued to communicate he loves me. He's continued to provide a pathway to have a reconciled relationship. The reality of the fact that I am still over here instead of over there in relationship with him is because I have consistently chosen to reject, to turn away, and to not listen to or follow through on the overtures that God has given to be reconciled. I've continued to resist. I've continued to shut it down. I've continued to ignore. Because it hasn't come down a path that I wanted to come. It hasn't been stated in the way I want it stated. It hasn't been packaged in the way I want it packaged. He continues to reach out. And I've continued to push off. That's why there's separation. Jesus came. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that relationship is restored. It's restored. God has addressed the issues of hell. And God has addressed the issues of sin that bring havoc into our world. But overwhelmingly, people have rejected that message because they choose sin over a relationship with God. Next week, we're going to finish up and we're going to talk about some of the things that we can do and some of the ways that we can respond to people around us who are wrestling through these, with these things. And I would say this. It doesn't work when we use a club. Grace, love, kindness are huge. But we'll talk about more of that next week. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you this morning for this amazing goodness that you pour out on us. And Father, I want to say thank you that as we look at tough, challenging questions that swirl around us and that cause people to wonder, are you a loving God? Should I walk with you or should I just walk away? Or should I not even enter into a relationship to begin with? Lord, I thank you that you have loved us so much and you've drawn us to yourself in such amazing and wonderful ways. Father, be at work in us and through us, I ask, for your glory and for your honor and for the wonderful good that you want to build into our lives. Father, I thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know about you, but these, these two verses really stuck out to me that, that Andrew read, Hebrews twelve fourteen to 15. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. If you are here and you have believed in Jesus, let these three problems force you on your knees to cry out for God's grace because if it isn't for God's grace, you will never make it home to be with him. Take these three problems 
seriously take them to heart. And if you are here and you're struggling with your relationship with God, or even if you're watching, checking us out online, and maybe one or all of these problems really weigh on you, that's why you don't want to trust in Jesus. Have a conversation with another believer here. Write in your Connect card or uh, find us on social media. Just contact us. Those, those are really big problems for me. Can we chat about it? Don't let those reasons be why you give up on Jesus. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that he died on the cross to save us, even though all of these problems are true of us. We're all drift into apathy. We all let our heart get bitter and hard. And we all sin and deserve eternity away from God. But thank God that he sent his son, Jesus. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pray. The offering plates are going to pass from the back forward. As it passes you, let's stand and let's praise the great God who is amazing, who has shown us so much grace. So let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for the good reminder for my own heart that I am a sinner desperate for your grace. I pray, God, that you will impress upon everyone this morning how sinful we are, but how good and just and loving and merciful you are. I pray, God, that you will help us to take these three problems seriously, and I pray that if there's anyone listening or watching or even here this morning that's struggling in the relationship with you or has given up on you or wants to give up on you, I pray that you will give them the humility to just come talk to someone. I pray you will be working, God, in your name. Amen.